Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Oundle spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. Okay. So, I've got this awesome task to talk about Sabbath, and the title I didn't even understand. So, the title is Subversive Sabbath. Now, subversive is to challenge the status quo, and all I'm going to teach you is that we are different to the world, and our Sabbath is different. So, Hallelujah. Okay, I'm going to start at the beginning and in Genesis, and I will end up in Revelation, so take your time. Okay, so we're going to talk about... I want that up, but I'm going to read you the background. Is that okay? And I might skim it. So, awesome God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth... Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground, uh, to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. Just a throwaway comment. He made the stars, as you do. God set them in the vault of the sky to give them light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the, team, let the water teem with living creatures, let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, 
and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. He's a good God, isn't he? He hasn't made anything that he thinks, oh, that's a bit naff. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and, all, and to all the wild beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that which he had done. I really appreciate that we're a mixed group here, that um, we're all at different ages and stages of life, and some of us have to work weekends, and some are not able to take a Sabbath in that sense, as we know it. But we have to carve out time for God. We have to carve out time for God daily, really, daily. Uh, a day, but a day of rest is very useful and very good, very recreative. We have to recharge our batteries. Even the Chinese who started to have a seven-day week realized that production went down, and so they gave their workers a day off, and production went up again. Um, so um, when we're talking about Sabbath, we all talk, think about a Sunday, don't we, or a special day. So a Sabbath is important, a day aside for corporate worship, teaching, prayer, hospitality, family. I love all of it. I got saved in the church. I didn't get saved with me in Jesus. I never got saved with me in Jesus. I got saved in church. I got saved. I've been coming to church every Sunday for umpteen years. And I don't usually miss a Sunday. And I am the church. I am the church with you. I am a member of this congregation, but I am a member of the body of Christ with the saints, universal. All right? I am, you are the church. It's not this, this poor building, you know. It's not magnificent edifices in Rome. It is the people of God. So, but today I want us to look at the true meaning of Sabbath, and it's called Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest. Not just a day, but a whole life in God um, and lived absolutely with God every day. So we've read the account, and I want to read that again. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. 
then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. This creation work is all his, and then he rests, having given it over to mankind to rule, to reign, and subdue it. It needed looking after. But he's still Lord of it all. He gives it over to mankind to subdue it and rule and reign under his lordship. You got that? It wasn't like, oh, I'm finished with it now. I'm off to going to do something else somewhere else in another part of the cosmos. I have now given it to you, but we are going to do it together in fellowship, in relationship, as we see in the Garden of Eden. Um, but the next thing we see is, darn it, man goes and spoils a blooming lot for us. He goes and sins and he falls. Darn, what would you have to do that for, Adam? I wouldn't have done that if I were you. That's what we think. The next thing we see is that man spoils it all by not trusting in their creator God, by believing that God's holding out on them and isn't giving them everything that they deserve, you know? No, has God said, oh, I'm going to be, you know? In, and, and that made them have to hide and be, feel ashamed and loaded with guilt. And although children are born in innocence, it's not long before they're selfish. You got that? They are born in innocence, but it's not long before their nature kicks in and we have a fight on our hands by the time they get to two. But, but, but this resting from his work is to be re-established again by Jesus coming to us and paying the full price for our rebellion and our sin and again, making a new creation. That was my revelation last night. A new creation. And not the old rehash, but a new creation. And, uh, and through a new birth into faith, again, to be our Savior God and Lord over our subduing and our ruling and reigning. Okay? It's as if Jesus, it, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. I really believe that he was, he was saying to God, it is finished. I've given you back your creation. I've given you back your mankind. I've given you back everything. It's just the earth that's got to be restored now. When we rise up and become the sons of God in all the glory that we are, then we will see the earth restored again, as it says in Romans, that creation is on tiptoes waiting for the sons of men to get all that's coming to them. So it's 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 um, so that's where we see the kingdom now, but not as it all is. We see healing, like thank God for Dick's healing. You know, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. But we don't see everybody healed, you see. So, but we see His glory. We glimpse it. We glimpse it. We can, and we, as we pursue it, we glimpse it more. So that's that. Okay. Now I'm going to go to Hebrews to prove the point, because you've got to prove the point when you're standing up here. Okay, so I'm going to go to Hebrews, and I'm going to skip a bit, because um, what have I got? I've got uh, Hebrews. Okay, so we're, I'm not going to get to Hebrews 3 first. Just switch it off for a moment. 
I'm going to skip over it because in Hebrews 1, we, re- we are told how great Jesus is and how God anointed him and set him apart. That's Hebrews 1. Then in Hebrews 2, is a warning to us to pay attention to this great salvation. Do you walk around or sit in McDonald's, as I do often, do you walk around and think, this is a great salvation? Eh? As we say in Birmingham. Are you aware? Are you aware? One of the things that makes me so angry about Parkinson's is it doesn't belong to Roger. Because we're different. Not superior, different. Do you get me? I'm a child of God. Do you know what I mean? That devil doesn't have any place there, really. Do you see what I'm saying? And and we're different, okay? So do we appreciate that this is a great salvation? Not a mediocre one, not an economy one, not a special deal, not a buy one, get one free. This is a fabulous, awesome salvation. And it's not a ticket to heaven. Salvation is not a ticket to heaven. I was lost and he found me. That finding me, that constant finding me, is salvation. Okay, I'll say more about that later. So Hebrews 3 is a warning against unbelief. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So let's go to Hebrews 3. Uh, A warning against unbelief. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Those, that was the people coming out of Egypt, going through the desert. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, he's talking to me and you, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of us have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Today is the eternal day. Today is the day of salvation. So that none of you, us, me included, none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The devil is a liar, has been from the beginning, and he uses the world and all its little entranglements and all its little passions and pleasures and lusts. It deceives us. I'll say more of that in a minute. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the wilderness, as you did in the rebellion. Who were they, who were they, who heard and believed, and who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter, listen to it, never enter his rest? his finished work, if not to those who disobeyed. 
So we see they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, <coughs> since the promise of entering his rest still stands, New Testament, let us be careful that none of you, interesting, he says, I've never said that before, let us be careful that none of you, that's good, isn't it? Let us be careful that none of you, he's saying, uh, be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. They didn't combine it with faith. They didn't mix it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, that Sabbath rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today, this he did a long time later after he spoke to David again when he said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do you think God is saying something about today? For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their disobedience, by following their example of disobedience. Do you get it now? Do you get it that God created and rested? And that was his lordship. No one, you know, I asked my friends, you know, is all of your life supernatural? Can I ask you that? Is all of your life supernatural? Or was it supernatural when you got saved? I want to suggest to you something that I think you have to always let your mind get pushed, pushed, because we've got such small brains. This is the deal. Nothing is outside of God. Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Nothing is outside of his creation. You were spiritual from the day before you were conceived. Isaiah 46 says, you named me before I was conceived. You were conceived before you conceived. Your spiritual journey started before you were conceived. You didn't just land here by accident. You were chosen to be here. You were even chosen to be here. We are supernatural beings. The world is dead in its sins, but we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. We might feel deggy and grotty and tired and worn out and fed up. It doesn't change the reality. My feelings don't change truth. Truth changes me. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. We're supernatural. I've had so many supernatural things happen to me just lately. I just expect them. I've got some glitter on my handbag when I walked in. I thought, oh, he's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. 
We, we went on a mission in Sweden, and I didn't even take a photograph of this because I just expected. And the, in this area, they were quite hardened to the supernatural and didn't like it. So a whole week had to be done of preaching and getting them ready for the supernatural. And they had the most beautiful church. I mean, just Sweden is just beautiful. It was beautiful brand new wood and beautiful embroidered thick cotton cushions. It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. And then right at the end on the last day, there was a pile of glitter this big, this big on the end of the cushions. And they were all taking photographs and they couldn't believe it. It was amazing. But I just thought, well, that's it. That's God. And if you look for it, if you look for it, you'll see it. If you don't look for it, you won't. If you look for it, you'll see it. If you don't look for it, you won't. Okay. So three times, three times he says this. God revealed his glorious power to the Israelites through signs, wonders, and great miracles. It's a great miracle that you're saved. That's what makes it a great salvation. He chose me. He may not have chosen all, you know, all the other people around me, but he did choose me. I don't know why. He did. God revealed his glorious powers to the Israelites through signs, wonders, and great miracles. But they refused to believe and therefore refused to obey. And their hearts became hardened. That's what sin does to you. You're not compassionate. You have an excuse why you don't give to the poor. You have an excuse why you can't give up your money away. Because your hearts are hard. And you're stingy. Because that's what sin does to you. You're just stingy. The Bible says, be generous on every occasion. Well, it doesn't mean me. I'm a good steward of my money. No, you're not, you're stingy. You just have to get to the bottom of it, of who, and I shall talk about that. This, you can see how this all mirrors our salvation. We are slaves to wickedness. We were slaves to wickedness. We had a wicked taskmaster in Satan. We were brought out of this dead, dead-end, grotty, life and we were brought through awesome power of the Christ the son of God God himself in Christ on that cross by the awesome deliverance and savior of Jesus by the power of his death and resurrection and the and the promised land is his kingdom that we live in now this is the promised land and it's going to get more and it is the kingdom now it's the kingdom coming and it's the kingdom will come so Hebrews 4.1 is really, really important, isn't it? For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but they didn't mix it with faith. And then it says in verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The people of God could not enter into a faith-built relationship with God because of unbelief. The only thing you can do with unbelief is repent of it. If, if I, you know, if I say something or a teacher says something, you go, oh, I don't go for that. Just say, God, if that's true, will you show me? If that's real, will you show me? Do you see what I mean? Um, because unbelief is a serious thing and it doesn't budge unless you repent of it. You can't think around it. You can't explain it. You just, if you say, well, I don't believe in miracles, well, repent. If you don't believe in healings, repent. If you don't believe in tongues, repent. Because it's in the scriptures and it's true. But through Jesus and faith in his finished work on the cross, we enter that rest. 
And that is the Sabbath rest. We no longer control our own lives. This is a biggie. This is the next section. We, Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it in the end. So what you have to do is it's this process of giving him control, always giving him control. It's not our money. It's not our time. We lose our lives back to him and rest in his complete work in us, in his creation, in his sovereign choice to die on that cross, God in Christ reconciling the world, Corinthians. It's him that we submit to. And in that submission, I want to tell you, it's a gospel of obedience. It's a gospel where I'm constantly brought out of darkness, constantly brought out of wrong thinking, constantly brought out of hard-heartedness, into the kingdom of the son that he loves, into right thinking, into good thinking. The Trinity, I mean, you might have a problem with this, but I think I saw this last night. The Trinity created the earth and everything in it. And the Trinity died on that cross that day to redeem us. It was God in Christ. It wasn't the man, Jesus, that could bear the sins of the world. It was the body broken and shed his lifeblood that could give his life for the world. But I don't believe as a man he could bear the the weight of the world's sin. Not when you look at Pol Pot and, and you know what the Nazis did, you know what the Russians have done to their own people, what you know, what paedophiles do, you know, what, what the devil can make anybody do. You, you just think, no, God had to do that. God had to bear that. Not a man. Not even a sinless man. But a God man. So the Trinity died on that cross because it was God in Christ and then he gave up his spirit. What was his spirit? It was the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit without, without measure, didn't he? So he gave up his Holy Spirit back to God. The Bible says it was God in Christ reconciling the world and Jesus gave up his spirit. Okay. All we have to do every day is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be saved. We have an obligation now to pursue God for all we're worth. For all we're worth. To lay hold of him by desire and faith. I don't believe that you change by upping the effort. I know it talks about struggling, and I know it talks about making every effort, but the effort is in the desire. The effort is turning away from sin. The effort is, is laying your life down. The effort is being like Christ. So I've mentioned this before many years ago, but the 13th century monks had a song and it was called turn, turn till you come round right. That turning, that turning is turning away from the world, turning to God, 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 turning away from sin, turning to God, turning away from sin, turning to God, until you come round right. 
And this is where I want to pick up something that I think is very powerful. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. That's very difficult. Very difficult to separate joints and marrow. Very, very difficult. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. We have to give an account. We have to give an account for our motives, for our attitudes. This is not a book of suggestions. How we wish it was is not something that can go back on, on the back of a shreddies box. It's wives submit to husbands. It's husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's submit to one another. It's be devoted to prayer. It's consider others above yourself. It's when you see your brother in need, sort it. It is love one another. Everything God did was in love. When Jeremy brought that word, I'd read a book this week about how God keeps on taking off the layers of our life, dealing with the rubbish, leaving behind what is relevant to our time at that time, because he didn't rubbish our lives. And then what we ha and then he keeps on going layer by layer till he gets to the bedrock of who we are. And we will naturally feel worse. You're stirring? Why? Because we can't trust in our own ability or our own. We don't get brownie points in here. We are going to humiliation after humiliation after humiliation after humiliation. We are being taken down, folks. Yeah, are you happy with that? We're being taken down in order to be taken up. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he wants us humble. What is humble? You can't do a darn thing without him. That's what he said. I mean, Jesus has a way of saying everything. He said this in one sentence. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How much? Nothing. What? Nothing. I can be good. No, you can't. Well, I can be kind. No, you can't. The gifts are the Holy Spirit. The gifts come with the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is pay attention to the Holy Spirit. That's faith. We have to, listen, <coughs> how am I doing for time, Tom? Five minutes. Darn it. So <laughs> this is the deal. We've been brought, we've been brought out of a kingdom of darkness and shame. Oh, Carrie, where's your actors? We've been brought out of a kingdom of darkness and shame and lostness. And what are we doing? Arguing and fighting. What causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires? You want something, you fight to get it, you can't have it, you don't ask God. Da, 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 da. And we're brought into this most marvelous light. And Jesus says, if we stay in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. The deal is stay in the light. 
I don't find this very often. You know, James, it says, confess your faults one to another. Um, many years ago, because this is a gorgeous, brilliant church, many years ago, we used to say, you do not relate on your strengths, you relate on your weaknesses, because we can all put the mask on. The Beatles sang a song about it. It was called Eleanor Rigby. She put a mask on before she left the house. Oh, you put your best clothes on to come to church, you push your back. We, we, we can hide in our Christianity. But that's not, that's not what it's got to be. We can hide our selfishness. We can protect our money. We can protect our lives. We can give just enough to look good. But we've come out of darkness, and we've come into this most marvelous light. And what we've got to do is stay there. God said to me a few months ago, keep yourself in the love of God. I, I believe this with all my heart. I believe this with all my heart. The problem to receiving more of Jesus is that we don't know how much we're loved. You just think of one scripture. You could have this tattooed on your arm, Billy. This is the scripture. It says, it says, as the Father, this is worth keeping. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Wow. What do you need? He's got it. What do you want? He's got it. He's got it. He's a good, good, good God. He's a good, good shepherd. No good thing will you lack if you trust him. If you don't trust him, it will cause you stress and ulcers and arthritis and sickness and pain. Trusting him, trusting him, because struggling is about perseverance, endurance, and keep looking to the God who can save us. I'm down to two minutes. This subversive Sabbath is coined perfectly in Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 is perfect. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't get off the altar. Stay there. Living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform, Sabbath, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a series of books by David Ben. I really recommend them. It's um, Surrender to Love. Um, the gift of being yourself and aligning, aligning yourself with God's will. And he says this better than I can. He says, um, difficulties in obedience or surrender are often viewed as problems of the will. This is the reason some Christians try over and over again to surrender all, each time attempting to do so with more fervor and resolve. But this misses the point of surrendering first to love and allowing obedience to be a response to love, not an obligation to a commandment. And Paul warns about that. He warns about that in, in Colossians. He says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or any new moons or any Sabbaths. 
If the ritual doesn't serve the rest, you ditch it, okay? Um, but this misses the point of surrendering first to love and allowing obedience to be a response to love, not an obligation to a commandment. Ultimately, problems in surrender and obedience are problems of knowing God's love. They are problems, therefore, of the heart, not the will. You can't try harder. It's, you have to surrender. You know, I, I entered a very dark time, and God took me to Northern Ireland to get me away from you so I didn't spoil you. And um, I was quite cross because I believed in healing, and I got to the point that I was telling God what to do. And it was like talking to a dog. I was saying, heal, heal him, heal him. If I proclaim it, if I say it, if I believe it, you do it. Mm. No. I came a cropper and God dealt with me lovely. I will say this, you know, his discipline is as important it's n as anything else. It's not punishment. It's discipline. For what child is not disciplined? And God disciplines those he loves. So if you go through a hard time, he's disciplining you. Why? Because he wants that muck off you. He wants that sin off you. Christian surrender is saying yes to God, yes to, to me. It begins as an experience his wildly enthusiastic, recklessly loving affirmation of me. It grows out of soaking myself in this love so thoroughly that love for God springs up in response. Surrender to his love is the work of his spirit, making his love ours and his nature ours. This is the core of Christian spiritual transformation. Let me say this. God wants lovers. And, you know, I spent years saying, oh, just give me a book that will explain it. But I've had to lay my life down. And, you know, just my attitude of getting up in the night has had to change. I would be selfish to the core if Jesus didn't love me. And nothing I do could ever change that. So I want to thank you for listening. You've been very attentive. I want to thank you for um, putting up with me. And I just want to pray. Father God, I know that everything you do is perfect love. You are a God of love. You can do nothing outside of love. You can do nothing except for love. You love us completely and utterly. You don't want us to be in any place of darkness or temptation or sin. You died so that you could say to Father God, here you are. Here's your new creation. Oh, Father God, we adore you. We adore you. What does it say? It says how great it is, right, the love that God has lavished on us that we should be called sons of God. Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church.